This is the Emergency Medical Minute. The Emergency Medical Minute is excited to announce that we are now offering AMA, PRA, Category 1 credits via online course modules. To access these and for more information, visit our website at www.emergencymedicalminute.com backslash CME-courses or simply click on the link in our show notes and create an account. Hey guys, this is Rachel Duncan, clinical pharmacist, here to give you your Pharmacy Friday Emergency Medical Minute. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about drug shortages. So the U.S. Food and Drug Administration report was released in October showing recent drug shortages and a staggering 163 drugs made the list. And a couple of key drug shortages on there that just popped out to me involved things in critical supply like heparin, epinephrine, morphine, and even something as common as IV fluids, such as your normal saline. So if we narrow this list to certain disease states, another sub-report says shortages have limited 29 of the 40 drugs that have been deemed critical for treating COVID-19 patients. And some of these drugs include things like propofol, albuterol, midazolam, fentanyl, azithromycin, and morphine, according to the American Society of Health Systems pharmacists who have their own kind of ongoing drug shortage list. Now, the FDA, as I talked about earlier, actually has a more stringent criteria for shortages, but still shows 18 of these 40 critical medications to treat COVID-19 as being on the drug shortage list. So almost half of these are in danger at this point. Beyond just that, critical drug shortage list specifically for COVID-19, another 67 out of the overall 156 critical acute drugs, including things like diazepam, phenobarbital, lidocaine, and acetaminophen are all in short supply. And those shortages are expected to grow even worse as the number of COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations surge in the coming winter months. And this is according to a new report by the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. So why is this happening? So COVID-19 outbreaks are dramatically increasing the need for specific COVID-19 treatment drugs. Well, at the same time, COVID-19 is having a major impact on two of the three key drug manufacturing areas of the world, and these are India and Italy. In addition to this, closed factories, shipping delays and shutdowns, trade limitations or export bans have severely impacted the supply side of the chain, which is also heavily dependent on China for active pharmaceutical ingredients as well as those manufacturers based in places like India and Italy. So the supply chain has really already been stressed over the past few years. As we are all aware of, drug shortages just seems to be this never-ending issue. But as we go through the fall and into the winter, experts are saying we're really going to start having some real challenges. And so the pandemic has exposed many of the vulnerabilities in our very own U.S. drug supply chain. 
So when you think about it, COVID-19 tends to strike hard in a discrete geographic area. And when it creates a new hotspot, the hospitals and health systems in that area usually see a dramatic spike in things like admissions and ventilator use. And then you think about all the different critical medications that come along with that. So as examples here, it's estimated we may see a possible five-fold jump in demand for a commonly used sedative called midazolam, right? What would you do if you didn't have that sedative readily available to you? And we are already seeing an increase and may see an even further tenfold increase in the use of uh, cisatricurium, commonly used neuromuscular blocking agent. If you remember back to the spring, when COVID-19 first started to surge, there were ongoing shortages of these types of medications, particularly in these hardest hit areas like the New York um, City area. So over the next several months, such shortages could easily grow even further if there is a surge in multiple parts of the country around the same time, a scenario that we've actually already started to see play out. This time, we may approach a surge not with only four or five hotspots, but maybe something like 30 or more hotspots. If they're all having a surge at the same time, we don't, won't have the ability to shift supplies around as we tried to do in the spring. So the concerns really arise after years in which the U.S. pharmaceutical supply chain has been regularly hindered by shortages. And as this occurs, it occurs at great cost. In fact, one report showed that overall, U.S. health systems spend more than $500 million a year on estimated costs related to drug shortages, with approximately $200 million in direct costs and up to $360 million in indirect costs. And some of those indirect costs is just the manpower and labor and time it takes to reallocate resources and make sure that the right patient is getting the right drug. And a lot of that tends to, unfortunately, fall on my profession in pharmacy. And so when I see that huge estimate of indirect costs, I certainly believe it because there was a time in 2017 and into 2018 where I was spending the majority of my days just deciding how are we going to allocate the drugs that we got into the pharmacy today and the rest of the week throughout the hospital fairly. So without going off on a tangent, we'll get back to the subject at hand. Other reasons for drug shortages besides COVID often vary. So it's not just COVID. In some cases, a drug maker walks away from a product, maybe saying it no longer is profitable, especially if it goes generic. And that leaves an insufficient number of alternate suppliers, right? It might take time for them to catch on. Maybe the price will drive up a little bit and it will become more desirable to make. Other times, some manufacturers complain that regulatory requirements are just too costly to pursue and they just choose to completely withdraw from a particular market. Another thing we've really dealt with in the past few years are natural disasters, such as the hurricanes and common manufacturing areas, distribution centers like Texas, Florida, and Puerto Rico. So how does the U.S. go about combating this growing crisis? Well, in May, the federal government awarded 
an over $350 million contract to a new company to make generics that are in short supply during the pandemic. But you just have to remember that achieving this goal does not happen overnight. It's because you have to take time to build a sufficient number of facilities before domestic production could even come close to meeting the demand for key ingredients and medicines. And so for that to happen, we really have to develop incentives for pharmaceutical companies to do these types of of things that they normally haven't been since production is generally cheaper in other countries. So based on this, there has actually been increasing talk in the U.S. of creating an America First program to find ways to spur domestic production of active pharmaceutical ingredients and medications. So all that to say, how do we deal with drug shortages? What is the pharmacist, or I'll just say the Rachel approach to drug shortages? Well, first step, reassess your definition of need. Something that you thought you needed in a certain situation may no longer be available. And so we really have to go back to the drawing board and say, what do I actually need to be able to provide good care to my patient? And sometimes it's something as simple as need versus convenience. I'll give you an example. Abijacks of epinephrine are really nice to have available and to use during a code. That's typically required to have a certain number of those in your code carts in the emergency department, right? However, these often go on shortage. And I've certainly personally been in situations where these are not readily available. Sure, it would be very convenient to have a pre-filled syringe already pulled up where I pop it together, pass it to the nurse, and they're able to give it quickly in an emergency situation. But in certain scenarios, I've been able to grab a 30 milligram per 30 ml vial and start pulling up one milligram doses and using that instead. Or alternatively, pulling up the one milligram per ml ampules. So just there's one example of just need versus convenience. Kind of along with that, second question I always ask myself that pharmacy spends a ton of time doing in the background is looking to see if there is another product, manufacturer, vial size, or drug concentration of that exact medication that can be substituted. And this is what I spent a lot of time doing in 2017 and 2018. And so a good example of this was local anesthetics. When we were looking at our drug shortages of things like lidocaine and bupivacaine, especially if they were wanting to get those products to have epinephrine in them, a lot of times I could not consistently get one vial size or one concentration. So one week I may be able to get bupiv 0.25, 30 ml vials. The next week it may just be the 0.5, 20 cc vials. So it's looking at your system and being able to make rapid changes to the different products and concentrations in a safe and effective way. And that's definitely something I would highly encourage you to lean heavily on your pharmacy department for. The next step, if all of that is exhausted, is is there a similar drug that can be substituted? And so some examples that I think about here that we've dealt with in the past and will only continue to deal with 
first of all, it comes to my mind, are opioids. In 2017, we had a huge issue with IV opioids. It was constantly changing what was our product that we had in stock that week and getting that notification out to my providers and nurses that this is what we would be using if you had someone with severe pain that required an IV opioid. Otherwise, we might have to start using oral opioids or other agents. Another example are the neuromuscular blocking agents. Sure, it is ideal, especially when you get into ICU care, um, big ventilator settings, having to prone some of these COVID patients, although we may not necessarily be dealing with that in the ER all the time, unless you start holding patients, which is becoming more and more common. Cisetracurium is definitely your agent of choice. Most folks are going to go with that. You don't have to have good renal or hepatic function to process this curium. Its half-life and onset is very desirable. However, this is one that has been and will continue to be on shortage. So you may be able to say, I'm going to instead utilize something like vecuronium and then have just different criteria around it for maybe those patients that don't have great kidney function where you need to dose reduce or not be giving them boluses as often. The next step that we get into that we really don't like to do is to use restrictions. And so restrictions around drugs that are in short supply can include things like patient criteria. This set of patient criteria, so say for example, cisatracurium is on shortage. If you are in renal failure and we can define that, whatever that is, serum creatinine greater than 1.5, greater than 2, creatinine clearance less than 30, you qualify to be able to get a cisatracurium drip um, so that we can prone you versus if you are below that, we are going to redirect you to something like vacuronium. So that's an example of a patient criteria. Or at a time, there were certain agents we were reserving just for kiddos. Well, you can also do use restrictions around certain providers. So when antibiotics go in shortage, oftentimes we will restrict those to maybe just ID providers, recommending those to that ER physician and getting that entered. Or we may even go so far as to have certain use restrictions for different areas of the hospital. So you are allowed to use this agent in the ER and ICU, but not on the floors. So that's just some of the examples of use restrictions we can have. And trust me, you do not envy the folks on your pharmacy and therapeutics committee who are trying to make those decisions. And then the last piece here is how do we tell our providers, nurses, and frontline staff that they can no longer use these restricted agents indiscriminately? So they can just use them. They were used to being able to use them all the time, every day on any patient. And now you're telling them no. That's a very hard conversation to have probably not something we have time to go into today, but even tougher than that is how do we tell certain patients, no, you can't have this medication that I would consider standard of care. And this is why. And that's going to be something that we'll have to start getting better at, I think, unfortunately, as the winter goes on. So in summary here, drug shortages have been an ongoing issue in our practice since mid-2000s. It peaked somewhere between 2011 and 2018, started to get a little bit better, but now several factors have exacerbated the drug supply in the U.S. more recently. And really the focus, as we focus on today, are these COVID outbreaks. Not only is COVID increasing the need for certain medications 
It's simultaneously affecting areas of the world in the U.S. that manufacture these medications and are able to transport them to the right places. So just keep these things in mind. Definitely encourage you to either go to the ASHP drug shortage list to stay updated or the one that the FDA puts out and just be understanding of your pharmacy staff at your institution as they try to put some of these use restrictions or guidances in place to make sure that we're still able to provide the best patient care. All right, guys, hope you guys have a good rest of your Friday. Tune in the next couple of weeks. We will definitely get another Pharmacy Friday Medical Minute going. I hope you guys have a good weekend. Bye. We are on a quest to provide the world with free medical education. Please help us out by rating us on iTunes, following us on social media, and subscribing to our newsletter at emergencymedicalminute.com.